Welcome back to another episode of Let's Face the Facts. I'm your host. My name is David Almeida. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and this is the show where every week I sit down with an actor or artist friend, we watch an episode of the classic sitcom The Facts of Life, and then we hit record, discuss the show, talk about it and all kinds of other stuff and wherever our scattered brains take us. My guest this week is Philip Nolan. He's returning from season one. Remember last week when I said that I needed to get busy and start bringing back the people from season one that I promised I'd bring back and watch a good show? Well, I did finally get around to start asking those people to come back. So uh, Philip is here. He was originally here for season one, episode three, The Return of Mr. Garrett. If you want to enjoy more of him, that is where you can find him here. Uh, the others I've reached out to, we have uh, Michael Wanzi, Kevin Kriegel, Megan Maroney. All of them are talking. We're trying to coordinate schedules as I record this, and I really look forward to getting them back here too. So the episode that Philip and I watched was Season 2, Episode 14. It was entitled Pretty Babies, and the original air date was March 4th, 1981. That's all for setup, kids. Let's jump on in. This is me with Philip Nolan. Well, here we are. Philip Nolan is sitting here with me. Welcome, Philip. It's great to be back for season two. Season two, and to see a good episode. Oh, what a difference a year makes. Oh, my God. And I take it these are approximately a year apart in production? Uh, yes. Even um, even more so, because you were very early. I think you were season one, episode three. That was August of 79. We are now in March of 1981. Quite so a, we're yeah, almost a year time. and a half yeah, at yeah. this point. More, more than and a it's, year and a half. And uh, it feels like a completely different show. And it, it really is. They cleaned house. They took what they had and... They accentuated the positive. And uh, a great thing we'll get into later, this is a great example of it, is Nancy makes an appearance in this show. Nancy is one of the girls from season one that was cut. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know how many more times we see her. But one of the problems of season one is there are too many girls. And then you look at some of these episodes where it focuses on the four, and then some of the others might make a little pass through or a cameo. And you're like... The problem is not too many girls. The problem was shitty writing, <laughs> feeling like all of them had to be given equal weight in every episode, mm. and all of them had to be given laughs. Yeah. It was like the last season of Laverne and Shirley, where their agents are counting the numbers of laughs on the page <laughs> and saying, Cindy, get more laughs than Penny. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So we are back, and as I typically like to kick things off, would you please give our fours of listeners... A, a one or two sentence synopsis of this episode. Mm. Lessons are learned when young Tootie becomes the unexpected apple of a fashion photographer's eye and uh, Mrs. Garrett's world is shocked and appalled uh, <laughs> when she learns about his secret agenda uh, and the poisonous effect it has on Young women's perception of themselves. Wow. Bravo. You, wait a minute. Oh, the slow golf clap. Thank I'm you very much. The slow clap. That was that you, you made that more intriguing than the episode itself was. <laughs> you should you should have written the copy for the TV guide <laughs> entry on this one. 
So, yes, indeed. This is the episode I remember so clearly as a kid. The episode where Tootie goes to be a fashion model. And when she came out of the room in The Look, as a kid, I'm slowly realizing more and more as an adult how obsessed I was as a kid with transformations. Growing up a gay kid, what what do you want? You want to be somebody else. You want to take on a different persona or something. And you know, that hasn't changed. Makeover episodes of shows like Oprah would do a makeover episode. Oh, yeah. They're always a ratings winner. People are fascinated by by the idea of just becoming someone else. Yeah. And I mean, we don't have the Extreme Makeover Home Edition sort of took over, but the original Extreme Makeover, that was a plastic surgery show. Yeah. And in it begot the swan. And it was like, if anything, our society took it and ran with it more to the point of um, not just changing your makeup and your hair and your Uh dress. It's like, let's make your nose different. Let's give you a facelift. Let's, um, it's, uh, yeah, our society has certainly not softened its opinion on wanting to be something else. But I always look back at these things and cite them as being the early days of, oh, of course I was going to be an actor. It didn't occur to me till I actually was becoming an actor uh, that I wanted to be an actor. And yet I look back, I'm like, how did we miss that? Parenting in the 70s and 80s. It's like, go outside, not not take a class, not nurture a talent, not discover what you might do well. It's just like, go, go outside, come home before dinner, or I might think you're dead. And I'll I'll call someone in an hour or two. Oh, so true. It is insane how we were just left to fend for ourselves. And we survived. And we did. So the first thing I notice uh, with this episode is Charlotte Ray is not singing the theme song. Oh, that's right. And so- that's, that's the first major difference. I thought, oh, now here's a woman with chops who's actually singing this song. Who turns out to be the wife of the guy who wrote it? Or Alan Thick and yeah, Alan, the famous Alan Thick from. Uh, oh God, what's the show? Fam- uh, family Family Matters. Matters is that, that the it? show? I get I always mix them up and I, I get mixed I think up. It's Family Matters. Yeah, the then there's the um, I mix up because of all the shows that had family and the I always mix up like the the My Two Dads and mm. the Full House and all that mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Alan Thick. Famous guy. This is his wife, Gloria Loring. And on the po- um, on the, the, the website of the podcast, facethefactspod.com, I do post some videos when I find them of her. She made some appearances on talk shows in the late 60s, early 70s. And she is extraordinarily good as a singer, like doing all different types of styles. But you were telling me for some reason it never really caught fire and she wandered into... Uh, soap acting soap acting and composing yeah and writing and i believe she and i think they also wrote the different strokes theme though clearly they didn't sing it i mean she didn't sing it but yeah Mm -hmm. so uh yeah no but she's i mean granted i think the musicians union was stronger than the actors union back in these days (laughs) so even though the actors weren't making residuals i'm pretty sure that she was making a a couple of pennies off every rerun of this for her and for both of them their son is pop singer robin Robin thick and uh yeah but i encourage anyone 
look up Gloria Loring on YouTube. There are some great videos mm. and uh, appearances on the early Carol Burnett show and stuff like that. But good, I'm glad you uh, noted that Charlotte Ray wasn't. It didn't even occur to me that that would have. Yeah, my yeah, it's uh, we've seen a real sea change in production quality and. Uh, primarily the quality of the writing with a focus on a smaller group of principles which allows you the writer that is to create banter that just feels less labored and uh, yeah yeah so it's and if the characters are well drawn we know from being writers slash improvisers when the character is well drawn it writes itself Mm -hmm. when you have when you have a strong enough character like a Blair and a Joe I imagine those scenes were not difficult at no, all because their their points of view are so strong each mm-hmm. one has a certain point of view an attitude a worldview and so you could literally have those actresses probably improvise dialogue in a room and just copy it down yeah. and it would be fine true okay so we need to get started with the actual body of this episode yeah we start in the parlor this lovely little room where they are relaxing and having fun. Mrs. Garrett, I didn't pay attention to what Mrs. Garrett was doing, but she was doing... She was on an adding machine with a roll of white paper tape. A calculator tape? Uh, yeah, yeah. We've seen her do that in her bedroom in she's an earlier episode. She's doing the books. I, guess. I don't know what she's we, doing. We talk, Okay, thank you for noticing that, because yeah, I didn't. Yeah. But the main thrust of the scene is that in the foreground, Blair is on the payphone. And she's all, oh, Scott, my eyes aren't that gorgeous. And it's just Blair going on and on about how much this boy loves her eyes and her being all flirty and lovely. Joe is um, doing a wonderful job when we talked about last week, when Joe is not the main character. Joe is such a good Eve Arden uh Virginia Gray type of a character to just be walking by and throw in a quip and hit and run. And I don't remember uh, the character's accent being that thick. Mm-hmm. And so this was like a wow. The accent was very heavy. Yeah. Was very blue collar. And, and that's by design. Yeah. And I uh, think they she does lose it eventually as they go on. But I think they... Smartly, we're still in only season two. We're still only not even a couple dozen episodes in. And it's like we want to make sure to distinguish how different as you can be. She speaks, yes. Um, So we're talking. So, what the Joe, the um, as she's about to hang up, apparently the boy says something like, uh, Your eyes are burnt into my memory or something. And she says, Oh, my eyes are burnt into you. And Joe walks in with, Take two shots of solar cane and call her in the morning. (laughs) Two shots of solar cane. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't remember what solar cane is, do you remember what it is? It's like a sunburn lotion, right? Or, or... But it was a, it was an aerosol spray. That's what made oh. it different than a lotion or a cream or aloe vera. It was for sunburns. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't know what it had in it, but uh, hopefully some form probably of... Probably aloe. <laughs> probably aloe and cocaine and sugar like everything else. <laughs> Saccharin. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, but it was the weird thing. Solar cane was an aerosol, so it was easy. You didn't have to touch your skin uh, to apply it. That's uh. why it was a really popular thing for sunburns. It was smart, smart marketing. Um, Tootie comes in, and she says, I'm tired of being underdeveloped. And Mrs. Garrett's like, oh, you'll grow. And we know she does. 
We know she grows too much, and we know that later she has breast reduction surgery. On her next TV show on Living Single, Kim Fields, actually, she and her character both undergo that. But the joke is supposed to be that she's talking about her photos. Tootie is a photographer in this episode. I'm trying to remember if we've ever seen... I guess Tootie has taken pictures, or we will see her do more. I, I do associate that with her a little bit, but not big time. She still is going to be the the girl who becomes an actress. They're going to commit to that and keep that as a through line through the series. Um, speaking of period times and period comments that are of the time, she's Tootie is sad because she can't seem to frame her pictures right. They're not coming out right. And she's like, Michael Landon makes it look so easy. Now, he was doing a Kodak commercial campaign or something? I I think. Or was I, it for a type oh, of was camera? It Polaroid. Was it Polaroid? You see, I might be mixing him up with James Garner and Marriott Hartley, who did these amazing Polaroid commercials. And their banter, they... Yeah, but this is clearly a reference to a commercial campaign. I think it was Kodak. I think you're right. It was a... Michael Landon was a... missed memory of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see if I can find a commercial, and I'll post it on the website. But yeah, but Michael Landon makes it look so easy. Michael Landon, of course, the father, director, writer, producer, everything person of Little House on the Prairie, later Highway to Heaven. And um, and uh, just coming up later, we will see an appearance of a young actress whose the bulk of her career was on oh, Little House on the Prairie. Right. Absolutely. I forgot that. We were looking up the cast of this. Um so Natalie comes in, and due to Natalie's continued connection with the school newspaper, which I love because Natalie does go on to be a writer, and that's a thing they have started this early, and it continues through the series, and it's delightful that they've committed to something. Due to her being affiliated with the newspaper, the Eastlander is the name of the paper, um, <laughs> she has learned that a new high-fashion, I'm sorry, a high-fashion photographer Jonathan Dutton is going to be coming to Eastland. He's looking for a new high fashion face. And this is an important opportunity because right now, pretty much any of the girls from Eastland are welcome to sign up for an interview with him. And he may very well discover, they could be discovered. Mm -hmm. This could be their, their chance to be a fashion, uh, fashion icon, high fashion model. And she asks Mrs. Garrett if they could use the cafeteria. And Mrs. Garrett's like, of course you can. We don't have another set anyway. <laughs> and, um, of course, Blair immediately is like, oh, imagine this opportunity just showing up and falling into my lap. And Blair is very confident that she is going to clinch this and wrap it up without any effort due to her own charm, due to her piercing, burning eyes. Which and it was at this point in the episode where I thought, well, she's obviously going to get her comeuppance. Yes. Uh, but but how will it happen and, and what will happen? And because both Joe and Tootie at this point had essentially equal amounts of weight in the script so far, Joe insulting Blair and Tootie with her photography habit and she's not satisfied with the way she's taking pictures and wants to ask this fashion photographer for advice, which is the reason she's interested in him. I, th uh, I thought it could go a couple of different ways. I yeah. thought it would be it. I honestly thought 
it might be true that Joe, the tomboy, yeah. would be f- fastened upon as the next look of, of high fashion. I got that wrong. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I agree with you. At this point, I thought, oh, it could be Joe. Yeah, I, I thought that too. And that was, that's good in the writing in terms of if you're, if you're paying attention. Now, what I know we've already had is we've already had a Blair-Joe adversarial Blair come up and swear a certain boy from Bates in the episode double standard there is a boy that Blair is expecting to ask her to this big dance Uh. and the boy ends up asking Joe and Blair is devastated (laughs) so we've kind of already had that play out so it would have been a little weaker and lazier on the part of the writers to say well let's let's have Joe once again Uh. take the wind out of Blair's sails but um uh, what we are soon going to be coming up to is, well, well, we'll get there. We'll get there when we get there. Um, there's talk about fashion. There's talk about magazines. Blair says, I can't wait to be on the cover of millions of magazines. And Joe's like, yeah, makes you want to invest in a paper shredder. <laughs> um, so they end up in a bet. Blair and Joe end up making a bet. Blair is so confident that she bets Joe kitchen duties for a week that she is going to scoop this up. And Joe was like, Mm-mm, I am here to watch you fail. And they do make a bet. They shake on it and everything. And when they shake on the bet, this doesn't come back, but 2D snaps a picture of them shaking. Like I know exactly what you're going to say. The camera that 2D is the using. The camera that 2D <laughs> is using. Our childhood, both of us were like... <laughs> it's like if Indiana Jones blew up the opening to the temple of my childhood. Oh my God. And the, this camera would be a dust-covered relic inside. Do you remember what it's called? Or remember what the I style of film was? I don't remember what it's called. It's simply called. called a 110 camera. There was the 126 film. 126 film is the same size as a slide. And somehow... I forget what it is, but a 126 camera took square pictures. Mm-hmm. And depending on the type of film you used, they would develop it into a positive, which would be what you'd put in a slide projector, or the negative and then make prints out of it mm-hmm. on photo paper. So the 126 are all the square pictures you see from the 60s and the 70s. Uh-huh. Then this more compact, smaller, it's like the size of a, it's like a size of a, like a thick iPhone. It's... It's maybe only an inch and a half thick, but the film is longer and slimmer and skinnier. And this was when taking pictures at home became rectangular. So suddenly our square Mm -hmm. 126, this is called, the film was just within the industry. It was called 110. So is it 126 or 110? For me, it was the flash stack. Yes, the tower. Not a flash cube. The 126 had the flash cube. Cube. This was not that. The 110 had the the tower. So standing up on it. It looks looks like a plastic sleeve of razor blades. Yeah. (laughs) You know, with them all stacked in their little see-through tower except yeah. this is a flash what'd you call it tower a, f- a, flash, a flash tower a tower i yeah. guess that's i i don't i, I don't feel 100 percent confident that that's what it was uh, called yeah. but but you know and once they burst of course they're useless so you've got you've got a certain number of bursts on this tower and then you'd have to pull this thing out of yeah. the body of the camera and toss it and uh, that's the fact that the original iPhones did not have a flash in them 
The fact mm. that all those pictures had to be taken by natural light, it's like, haha, yeah. welcome to the 1940s and 50s, kids. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, what, that's what the old style, turn of the century flash powder, where they would literally light like gunpowder yeah, or something. Yeah. And make light, a flash. Like a, a foss, some type of a phosphorescent thing yeah. to make a, a flash. That's what this was. And this was revolutionary that you could, it was the thing that allowed everyday people to take pictures indoors so yeah watching that i had not thought of that in i don't know how long yeah a real relic one of those strange transitional technologies that you know in in the weird in-between spaces of of the modern world these cameras existed ah childhood on nostalgia we also have another cultural uh, reference right here um, and this is from Joe's lips to an insult. Benji the dog. Oh, yes. Benji. Uh, Benji, one of the great Hollywood dogs. Uh, you'd say Benji, and it was it was almost a punchline. It was something everyone knew, like Lassie yeah, or Rin Tin Tin. So it was Benji. What was he? Was he a Shih Tzu? What type of dog was Benji? I don't know. I wanted to say he was a terrier of some kind. I'm quickly looking him up here on Wikipedia, and we see... He is a small, lovable, mixed-breed dog, so he is not anything. He's, he's a mutt. He's a mutt, and that's good. But yeah, Benji was a very popular. It was it was the family movie alternative to um, to your cartoons and your Disney yes, movies. Yes, and and not Disney. It's it seems like you would think it would be a Disney type nope. of a thing, but it was it was huge. So yeah, it was definitely the update of a of a lassie insult that mm-hmm. you would do. Um. So we have this bet. It is in place. The camera happens. That's the end of that scene. Then we move to later when Mr. Dutton, Mr. Jonathan Dutton, the fashion photographer, is conducting his interviews. They've set up a table in the parlor to be kind of like a little private place. And all the girls are waiting out in the cafeteria. They've hired some extras. There's maybe a half a dozen or maybe even as many as 10 girls floating around here. And one of them is Nancy. Visiting us, popping in from season one, Nancy, the wonderful Felice Schachter, and she is there about to go in and be interviewed, and the real purpose for having her there is she does go in, and she has the interview, and she is just coming out when Blair is about to go in. Blair has shown up wearing a pink scarf, because they were told not to wear special clothes. He wants to see them in their uniforms. So Blair has a pink scarf and a some type of a card with her. And it's kind of weird because it's like a scarf. Are you are you 50? Really? Anyway, so as Blair comes breezing in, all confident, just as Nancy's coming out, there's this bosom buddy sort of exchange of, oh, really? He thought you were whatever. And she's like, uh, yes, Blair. He said that I was striking. Oh, really? Yeah, he said that my skin glows and that my eyes... Uh, were piercing and Blair's like oh the old striking glowing piercing line how run-of-the-mill oh so sorry to hear it so there's a little bit of a a little bitch fest between them and it's fine it seems like it's in all in good fun and we're just happy to see Felice got another episode since she was the first one hired and the first one fired oh I did not know that one yeah oh that hurts so then Blair is called in 
And so as she is carted in, and Natalie is the one running the show, and Natalie is all, uh, Mr. Dutton needs this, Jonathan needs this, Jonathan needs that, Mrs. Garrett is bringing out drinks and all that. And there's a, she's like, Jonathan would like some lemonade or something. And Mrs. Garrett's like, Jonathan, like, why are you calling an adult by his first name? And Blair is brought in as number six. And Blair says, uh, but you can think of me as a 10. Uh, still, that, and that's still, I mean, the this number scale thing, that still kind of lasts to this day, doesn't it? Oh, sure. Calling someone a 10. Absolutely. And that's, his, that's a reference to the 1979 Blake Edwards movie entitled 10, mm-hmm. which was uh, the movie that in, introduced the world to Bo Derek and God, if you haven't watched it lately, the, mo- the movie's awful. It was never good. <laughs> it is dated and terrible. But she is, God, she is gorgeous. Like, the camera just she, loves her. She was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Bo, Bo Derek, among the quintessentially worshipped, beautiful women of her time. Mm-hmm. And that was 79. That was only two years before. So referring to someone as a 10, and yep. that was... That was still very, very of, of the time. And I'd just like to say that during this scene, my eye kept going to the absolutely hideously unappetizing pastry vending machine. Thank you. Behind that table. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. This Could pastry vending machine. Were well, you? pastries, Pastry, you like, like prepackaged Danish? Bear claws? And, yeah. Oh, jeez. It's funny you mention that because we've had an ongoing discussion about this machine, Philip. <laughs> At one point... We, when we are introduced to this room, there's the coffee machine is the one on the left, then yes. there's the pastry machine, and then there's shelves. So the pastry machine, there was one episode where Tootie became friendly with a young boy who was the one who reloaded the candy machine. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, for this one episode, that machine became a candy machine. Huh. And then it never went back. Even though last week, Natalie needed some money, and she said, you guys, can you lend it to me? And Joe goes, no, because maybe you could knock over the candy machine. And we're like, there is no candy machine. How dare you? So my, <laughs> I have been watching that every single episode to make sure it never changes from, because, and it's clearly a 1970s, like, yeah. if not 1960s, yeah, it's this, old. The styling looks 60s It's to an me. old prop. It is a... We just needed to fill some and space. <laughs> I don't know where they found these things that are not even like centered in the windows. They look like they're just dropped. In. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so unappetizing. Yeah, they don't. And yeah, when when you have a machine that looks that old, you can't <laughs> imagine the contents are any newer. <laughs> oh dear. Um, so the the buildup is Blair has. Oh, oh, and we've got a couple of age problems. Another thing I've obsessed over is the ages of the girls. We have a couple of age problems with this episode not being accurate. When Blair sits down, she hands Natalie this pink card that matches her pink scarf. And turns out, Natalie looks at it and she's like, oh. Blair Warner is a junior here at Eastland. And it becomes like her introduction, like a fashion show type of a thing. I didn't hear anything else she said other than Blair Warner is a junior here at Eastland. Eh, Wrong. Hmm. Blair's a sophomore. Or let me put it this way. Blair ain't going to graduate for two more seasons or two more years. Uh And there is no talk of any of these seasons being compressed, you know, two years being compressed into one. So a typo that just did not? I I think they didn't know at this point. I really think they had not ever quite clearly stated it. Ah. And then... Still very early days. Uh, yeah. 
And then the other thing is that later in the episode, it is commented that uh, multiple times about Tootie being 12. Tootie was 12 last year in last season. Tootie's technically really supposed to be 13 right now. Mm. And remember, Kim Fields is two years younger than that. So Kim Fields was 10 playing 12 mm-hmm. in season one. Season two, she's 11 playing 13, uh, which actually gave this episode all the more punch, the fact that they had the youngest hmm. of them and then that she is in reality younger than that. Um, so the culmination of the Blair-Nancy little rivalry thing is that uh, while Blair is sitting there, Jonathan uh, Dutton, the photographer, is saying, Blair, you know, I have to say, you really are striking. And Blair's like, striking? And he said, yeah, your skin, it just, she goes, glows. Yeah. And your eyes, your eyes, they, and she says, pierce. And he goes, no, they dance. And she's like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> All right, me, I got something that's my own. But she was like, oh, fuck, I'm being handed the same line that Nancy is. That's not good. Um, so... In the course of it, Mr. Mr. Dutton needs some lemonade. And so Natalie goes to Mrs. Garrett to say Mr. Dutton needs some lemonade. And then Mrs. Garrett says, Tootie, bring Mr. Dutton some lemonade. It's like, couldn't have just fucking grabbed a glass and put it in the table. Anyway, um, it Tootie ends up bringing him the lemonade. And a lovely laugh for Kim Fields. Blair says, Tootie, you're standing in my light. And Tootie does this beautiful, just glares at her. A and nice steps, slow burn, yeah. And a slow burn steps to the side and then continues with what she was doing. It's, you know, that's where you're, the, the magic of Kim Fields and how damn good she was. And she's, uh, her big thing is that earlier she was talking about being underdeveloped. She was also complaining of framing issues. So she says, Mr. Dutton, can I ask you some questions? I'm having trouble with the photography. I don't know when the heads get cut off. And then he says, wait a minute, don't move. And he says to her, so fresh, so sweet. And she says, well, it's frozen from concentrate. Not the lemonade. Mm. You. And he looks and says, she is perfect. And he's putting her hands in his, her face in his hands. And basically, he walks out to the room and says, everybody go home. I have found her the new high fashion face for the 80s. Tootie. To the shock of everyone, including Mrs. Garrett. Uh, and then we go to commercial. Yes. Dramatic. Yes, very dramatic. So during the commercial break, we already got to know you a little bit, Philip, on season one, episode three, called The Return of Mr. Garrett. But I don't think at the time I had started doing my thing of saying or asking, do you have a commercial that you can think of from this time or this era? Oh, God. Or just any random commercial from your childhood that has meaning for you? Well... My, the bane of my parents' existence, not mine, were uh, toy commercials. There was a time, and you don't really see them on TV anymore. Yeah. Well, we watch just commercials anymore. Yeah. Really? Well, that's true. Streaming. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But toy commercials uh, were, were scheduled uh, during programming where children were likely to be watching. And again, the options were limited, so the... the the producers knew when children of a certain age would be watching in these toy commercials, boy. And the format was always kind of the same. You'd have footage of children simply playing with plastic toys mm-hmm. and doing voices and acting out scenarios, you know. And 
And that was it. That was all a child needed to have a new thing to covet and dream of and, and, and want. And the trope of somehow involving the parents or playing around, the parents are like, what is that? Oh, you. <laughs> there was a great, great Saturday Night Live commercial from the late 80s where they did it. It was like, uh, it was like a Viking that you would pour blood into. <laughs> Oh yeah, and it would take, and it was like it was like a sprinkler you'd put in the middle of the room, and it would spray blood over the entire room, and it would show kids setting it up, and it would spray their parents and cover them with blood, and they'd be like, "What? What? what? Oh, <laughs> you <laughs> yes, kid? Yes, yeah. I'm gonna find the video of that. I will post it. <laughs> so then, name a, a commercial. Name a product that you when you think of those commercials. Name a, a product that comes. Uh, from probably GI Joe. GI Joe, very mm-hmm. big. And I remember lots watching lots of footage of kids with GI Joe dolls, and he had little cars and planes and things that he would fly in. Which you know, yeah. GI Joe was the uh, was the little boy Barbie, and. Yeah. Uh, Gosh. And before the days of spoilers, I'm thinking my, my brain went 1981. And because we uh, live and work in the time and the place that we do, Star Wars is on everybody's mind hmm. for various reasons. Um, immediately 81, I thought Empire Strikes Back. I remember distinctly when they were introducing the Star Wars Empire Strikes Back action figures. They had Han Solo and Lando Calrissian. And I remember the kids playing out and one of them saying, the Empire tricked me, Hans. I had no choice. And nowadays you'd be like, that's a spoiler. Lando betraying Han in episode five. That's funny. That is a fucking spoiler of all spoilers. And it not till this moment did it occur to me. I got to find that commercial now, but I'm pretty sure I remember Giving it. away the film and the commercial. I know. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, say, uh, now, ep- episode nine, Star Wars action figures, yeah. and have a Ray and a Luke, but I'm still trying to find out who my family is. Okay, you're actually my daughter. <laughs> yes. What? Ah. We don't know that. We're we don't know that is true. We're speculating. Uh, we have no insider information. Yes, please do not st- <laughs> ruin our lives via Twitter. Non-spoiler alert. Non-spoiler. To my fours of listeners who might be outraged. So... We are now in the girls' bedroom. For We are come back from commercial, the girls in the bedroom, and they are all packing and getting ready for the trip to New York where Tootie is going to have her photo shoot. And we learn that Natalie and Joe are going to also go along. Mrs. Garrett has allowed them to go, and they were going to go to the Guggenheim. And Natalie... We always talk about there are no fat jokes about Natalie. There are always food jokes around Natalie. Yeah. And she says, I've always wanted to go to a building that looks like a cupcake. I I didn't know. Does the Guggenheim look like a cupcake? Not to me. I would say it looks like, I don't know, maybe soft serve ice cream. Oh, okay. Like a, like a. It's Uh, swirly. It's swirly. Like a twisty treat. Yeah. Or something. The Guggenheim looks like a twisty treat. Okay. We just pulled it up here. It. It doesn't look, it looks more like a flower pot. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Or, or maybe, I mean, it doesn't even look like a cupcake paper. I guess you could put a cupcake on top, like a, a muffin top <laughs> cupcake on top of it if you wanted to Photoshop it. But yeah, that's weird. Oh, the other thing, very important, important, hard hitting news things that I cover in this podcast. We do have the sombrero on top of the carnival tiger in the window. <laughs> we have been following the fucking sombreros. Since, do you remember in the bedroom of the last episode, yes. there were sombreros 
multiples decorating the room of the and you're like what it was literally a, a props closet and we need to fill space it, yeah it's a very strange non sequitur we, we just never... need to cover we have walls that we can't have bare it's never discussed so the fact that one of the sombreros did make it into season two and stays on it last see last week the sombrero disappeared but oh. now this week it is back i know people will be really really uh, happy to know that um so uh blair comes in <laughs> does her blair sigh because she's just been working off her bet with joe she lost so she was doing joe's duties down at the cafeteria and um the question of why are they all going into new york it does come up that Mrs. Garrett does say, well, your parents asked me to be your chaperone. And then she says, well, Blair, why don't you come to? Maybe it make you feel better. You know what? I could use you. You can advise me. You could be my dresser. And Blair says, you mean your fashion coordinator? Yeah, okay, whatever. So suddenly Blair, who was not planning on attending this trip, is now going to be going. And uh, that's pretty much it. So why the parents are not there, all we know is just that they gave Mrs. Garrett the... They signed off on her being Tootie's chaperone for this big, potentially life-changing event. Hmm. So now um, we are in the fashion studio. And Mrs. Garrett emerges from this door that is upstage center. And it actually has an amazing disco Studio 54 font. It says dressing room. I'm not sure I've ever been in a dressing room in my entire career that ever was actually labeled dressing room. Yeah, it's Have a you? little on the nose. <laughs> I just, it, we're being spoon fed here. Uh, yeah. But, but am I right? Have you ever been in a dressing no, room? No, I have never been in a dressing room with in, the word dressing room written on the door. Together we have been performing for a half a century easily, professionally you know, less than that. But between your experience, which is Far more than mine. It's like, okay, well, I'm not crazy. I mean, between... And sometimes, I, I mean, dressing rooms aren't even labeled male or female because, you know, it could change depending upon what show you're doing. Yeah. So they're just... Someone just points to a room and says, oh, and that's the dressing room. Yeah. And there's, there's no tables. Sign. Yeah. And there's, you know, and there's a counter and a mirror. And, and a mirror with lights around it. And you say, oh, that's the dressing room. That's a dressing room. You, it's, <laughs> a dressing room is a, it's not, it's not a typeface. It's a state of existing. <laughs> um, so I just had to point that out. And it's beautiful. The, the 70s rounded Studio 54 font is just amazing. So, um, Mrs. Garrett comes out of this room saying, I can't get to her. There's a group of pushy women in there that won't let me see her. And uh, Jonathan is there and he is rocking. Uh, let's, let's pause and take a moment and talk about Jonathan here. Because this is where we kind of see him in his element. Speaking of the 70s, he looks like he's right out of them. Right out of it. He is like concentration camp thin for yeah. one. Yeah. Very like twiggy. Yeah. You know. I have I have two people that I would say if you want to think get an idea of what he looks like, um, his hair is more feathered in the '80s style. Yeah, but he is definitely a. But it's long hair. It's long hair, as all were. Yeah, he looks like the love child of Rick Springfield. Yes, and Rick Ocasek. <laughs> 
Yes. From, from the cards. No, I think that's very apt. And Rico, because Rico Kasich is emaciated thin. thin. He yeah. a, he's Jack Skellington before yeah. Jack Skellington ever existed. Yeah. But the Scary same thin. type of coloring, you know, facially, a lot of Rick Springfield, his, his slightly less attractive kid brother or mm-hmm. older brother, actually. I think he's older than Rick Springfield. And, and do we, we talk about the pants? Are we talking about the pants? Leather. Black leather. Leather pants. Black leather pants. Ay, ay, ay. And you wonder, did they really wear that, or was that a costumer for a sitcom that thought, well, he's a high fashion photographer. <sighs> Put him in leather pants. Are leather pants the most easy to move around in if you're all no. over a set taking pictures of something? No. I don't think so. Not in the least. And they're hot. They're like, yeah. I've, I've worn the vinyl version of, fo- I've worn faux leather pants as a costume and been miserable. No, no. It's like wearing a garbage bag around your legs. <laughs> yes. Ugh. So, yeah, the actor is John Mark Robinson. And looking at his credits, we were looking him up on IMDb. His last credit is this. He never acts after this show. He has a couple of, I think, three directing credits afterwards. And according to IMDb, which is not always 100% accurate or uh, comprehensive, but usually pretty good, It's there's not much there. So I wonder whatever happened to him, but... And he's there. not the only one. We're about to uh, to see a, a s- sort of similar swan song from uh, the mysterious woman in the dressing room. From Rena. Yeah, Rena. we're, we're going to meet Rena in a minute. But before that, um, we have some interaction with Blair trying to be the the helper and saying, oh, this is so fascinating. I've never been on show. Oh, and so she goes to him and says, oh, what's, what's this right here? And he says, it's a light. <laughs> And that type of stuff. So Blair is clearly the fifth wheel, if not the turd in the punch bowl. Ironically, you'd think she'd be in her element kind of a thing. But um, so we have that. So Blair is around making her presence known, trying to help out. Um, Mrs. Garrett is clearly very skeptical and thrown by how uh, discarded and pushed aside she has become. And then Tootie comes out in her reveal of her outfit, of what she is wearing for this photo shoot. And she does look striking, strikingly beautiful. She has got more drag queen makeup on, like the amount of war paint. Later Heavy when, blue eyeshadow, yeah. lots of rouge and shading on the cheeks. Yeah, later when Natalie and Joe come in, Joe looks and says, wow, I saw Picassos with less paint on them, which is a great line. Um, she is dressed in this beaded headpiece. Is this like, what would you call this? An, an Egyptian? Disco Cleopatra. Like a disco, there you go. Yeah, so it was kind of an Egyptian, maybe some, you know, Middle Eastern influence, the sort yeah. of flowy. Vaguely billowy clothes, harem. Har- there you go, pants. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, kind of a Cleopatra disco harem kind of a look. Beads, and, beads hanging down where the bangs are. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, she does look great. Very pretty. Very, very pretty. But she also looks very old and more mature than we know she is. Um, And then through all of the Mrs. Garrett and (laughs) her reaction to it is, of course, aghast. And um, then this other girl, Rena, comes out. And the weirdest sitcom trope that happens is the... People who don't see each other until they need to see each other. <laughs> Did you notice? Yes, yes. Rena walks and she, Oh, didn't see you there. Kind yeah. Of a, Rena yeah. walks out and is standing next to them. And then Jonathan says, hey, I got to go in the next room for something. But Rena, get ready. We're going to be using you later. Oh, okay. 
And then he leaves the room. And then she turns to the others as she walks over to a little makeup table. And she says, oh, hi. Are you guys here for the photo shoot? Kind of, it's like, yeah, we're, we were standing here the whole time. It's just weird. Very, very strange <laughs> in the writing. And what Reyna reveals is that they, Mrs. Garrett is like, is this really what they typically do? Tootie's only 12. Not really. She's 13. Tootie's only 12. Is this what? And she's like, oh, well, yeah, that's it. You know, young models and stuff are in. And Rena says, and she says, can I ask how old you are? Rena says, I'm 14. And then she says, but don't tell Jonathan. He thinks I'm 12. And of course. So we're burying the needle on the creepiness factor here. Yeah. And then Blair says, okay, Tootie, don't. Another sitcom trope. Okay, Tootie, if she's going to be in the photo shoot with her, you be sure to work your stuff and do not let Rena upstage you. And Tootie says, okay, I won't, if you'll tell me what upstaging means. Forehead slap. And and then she walks away. It's but, there's, there's another part of a conversation here. You could have added one line saying, meaning, don't let her steal your thunder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah all, or something yeah, like, yeah. don't let her get in front of you yeah. or you know, or overpower you or something like that. But it's just like, yeah. And, Cause when you said forehead slap, that's us, the audience, there was no, it was just tell me what it is. And then they walk away. It was like, what? Yes. Oh, sitcoms. Oh, sitcoms. And, um, then we get to the actual, uh, him actually photographing her and he's doing okay give me the sensuality make love to the camera all right smolder show me show me that you're hot and bothered and she starts fanning herself he's like no no tootie that's not what it pretend you're 12 going on 24 and then we turn on some disco music and we do the montage with the snaps and the still frames and some of them with the beads in her face and uncomfortably so but, um, uh, and he's going, oh, this is outrageous. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't stand it. And Mrs. Garrett, oh, I hate to see him suffer. <laughs> and come on, now you're a sensual animal. Snarl for me. So she's doing it. And honestly, she's playing it beautifully as mm-hmm. far as playing the naivete when you know in real life she doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. So she's like, doing these weird faces. And finally, he's like, okay, come on. Uh, all right, Tootie, clearly, we're done. You're done for the day. And so Tootie's like, and he says, uh, Raina, get ready. You're going to complete the shoot. And so Tootie's like, well, I blew it, didn't I? And he says, um, well, Tootie, you're, you're still finding your way. You need to let the woman inside of you out. And Mrs. Garrett says, how do you let the woman out of a 12-year-old? She's not a woman. And then he says, well, we're going to have you back in a couple weeks for your next photo shoot. And Mrs. Garrett's like, what, two weeks? Nope, midterms. Absolutely impossible. And Blair is like, we'll make sure. She'll do both. We'll get her here. I'll help her with her studies. And he's like, oh. And he says, you know, you really should think about getting a tutor here in Manhattan because you're going to need to get away from school if you're going to want this as a career. And also, next time, I'm going to need you to lose about eight pounds. And you out loud went, what? <laughs> Philip out loud. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 because the this actress, Kim Fields, 
is, you know. She's a child. She's a she child. She's a child. And this is, uh, yeah, this is this is straining the limits of, of credulity uh, where I know what the writers are trying to do here. Uh, but <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's almost ludicrous. It's, it's almost like saying to an infant, you've got to lose some weight, you know. Yeah. Like in Bruno, that when yeah. the <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen thing of like, there was like a five-year-old. He's like, he's like, do you think she could lose twenty pounds? And the, <laughs> yeah. the mother's like, yep, okay. And it's like, what? Um, and then um, and then when she's like, what? And I don't want to. Blair chimes in again. Blair is consistently being the yes woman as far as, and this is cool. This falls under the umbrella of the girls still support each other. You realize Blair lost this. This is what Blair thought her opportunity was going to be. And the fact that she was depressed and they asked her to come along and be an advisor. And Blair is, for better or for worse, she is jumping in and saying, I'm going to make this happen. I'm sticking up for my friend. You want a stick? I'll make you a stick. I will. She basically volunteers to control Tootie's diet. And it's like, I mean, it's misguided. It's just based on if you have an opportunity to be a fashion model, you be a fashion model. You have to take this type of a thing but it does the the show consistently does that that these girls always look out for each other and that's a really wonderful consistent thing and then um joe and natalie do come back at this point and then they see tootie for the first time and then uh somehow he mentions that there's a oh we need to get you fitted for a wig for your next session and Someone says, uh, maybe Blair, oh, a wig, that sounds cool. Um, does she need to have a wardrobe or a fitting? And he says, nope, the wig is the wardrobe. Yeah. Ooh. Jaw drop. Ooh. Close Reaction. up on Charlotte Ray. Yeah. As and Mrs. Garrett is about to lose her mind. <laughs> and the But the audience also, there's a, yeah. ooh, yeah, like, yeah. fuck. Like, even they are like, wow. Um, and he talks about a a tasteful sensuality. And it's for a perfume commercial. And Mrs. Garrett's like, what are you talking? And he's like, they're not going to see anything. They're just going to think they're going to see something. And she's like, that's even worse. <laughs> and Mrs. Garrett finally lets loose on him. And she says, you know what? What you are doing, this attitude that whatever sells is um, that you, that of just going along with whatever is the trend and whatever sells, she says it is wrong and it is sick. And I know when something is one step away from child pornography and I will not let my girls be a, and the audience interrupts her speech with, with applause. applause. She has to hold. She has to pause for applause. So she has to say, and I will not let my, will not <laughs> let my girls be a part. So Charlotte is a pro. She covers it. But it's a lovely moment where the audience is so fucking on her side and so glad she's letting this asshole have it. Though he's not being that much of an aggressive asshole. He's just being misguided. And he, he's not playing a villain. He's just a, this is what I do. This is what's happening. For right or wrong. He, you know, the yeah, mor morality I, is off. Well, I, I, I think it would have been the high school acting choice for the actor to to play him as vindictive or malicious or anything but the fact that he just shrugs and says look this is the industry this is yeah is is not talking down to us as an audience uh, so much and uh yeah and writing and it's wise, more of a believable thing yeah and writing wise he, he could have been more antagonistic toward her 
about her weight, about yeah, her. Yeah. He, he could have been more, um, not abusive to her, but he could have certainly been more of an ass in the way he treated her. Yes. He was, for the most part, okay. He What he was saying was not the coolest and not appropriate always, but they never, he was never treating her badly intentionally. And I agree with you. That was a better choice to make about it. Uh, then he says, finally, he's so she's let him have it. So he kind of comes back at her smartly with, well, clearly this is a conversation I need to have with her parents. Meaning, lady, you don't run the show here. And that's, honestly, he's right. But Tootie jumps in. And now Tootie gives him what for and says, no, you don't need to talk to my parents. And she says, this day has been outrageous. But all these things of telling me to make love to the camera when I haven't even kissed a boy and acting like an animal, she says, that stuff embarrasses me. She full on tells Mm -hmm. him and expresses how she feels. It's a beautiful Tootie moment for a girl so young. So then he says, so you mean you're saying no? And she says, I am saying no. Yay, applause. And he's like, fine. Raina, get the wig on. <laughs> and ba-dum-bum. Um, and he exits the screen and apparently his career at yeah. that point. <laughs> he'll never, that's, never uh, work uh, again. Uh, you'll never see another frame of him. John Mark Robinson, RIP, your career. <laughs> um, so, yes. And then we, of course, have to wrap up the episode. The final laugh, the final wrap-up. And we get a wonderful thing, and then a oh, groaner. The wonderful thing is Mrs. Garrett saying, Oh, Tootie, choosing to stay a kid is the most adult thing you've ever done. Philip is laughing because it's like Charlotte Ray appeared in front of him. It's uncanny, I will say. <laughs> and um, so then it's like, and I'm so proud of you. Let's do whatever. Whatever you want to do. Let's go celebrate whatever this is we have to celebrate. Get changed and I'll take you out to eat my treat. And Tootie's big idea is, okay, let's go get hot dogs in Central Park. And the others react, hot dogs? That's a food for kids. And Tootie replies, yes, it is. Uh... Ah, she's a child again. <laughs> Innocence restored. Yeah, exactly. And how fitting, Philip, that you were here for this episode. If you recall, the other one you did, The Return of Mr. Garrett. Yes. That was the one that, number one, it was a 2D episode mm-hmm. because it was him teaching her how to how, gamble. How to gamble. And it was playing upon her naivete. Yes. And all that. And um, I'm glad you saw that episode. I forget what else was specifically in that episode, but how slightly ironic that we have this episode about exploiting underage girls and their sexuality. <laughs> when um, it's like, Your Honor, <laughs> Exhibit A, all 13 episodes of season one, where you had these girls dressed like Janet and Chrissy, oh, jiggling yes. around in no bras, in painted on short shorts up to their hoo-hoos. Yes, yes. And I mean, granted, the show has clearly course corrected and then some so 13 episodes in the the show is able to say this and and we don't laugh at it we don't say oh come the fuck on but looking at season one you're like Ooh. so c- could be that this is the answer to see it's like we could do something that kind of 
makes up for all that shit. Yeah, and and in this episode, I thought we saw the reason for the show's longevity is that this episode was a morality play. It's Mm -hmm. about an aspect of modern culture that young people are going to have to navigate and they're going to have to make sensible choices about. And uh, not specifically, but in, uh, in an indirect way, um, the episode advises us to be skeptical of the images we see in advertising campaigns mm-hmm. and media portrayals of women and their bodies. Yeah, and that's pretty revolutionary for a show that has an all-female cast. Mm-hmm. There are no, no men in the opening credits. There are some male parts, but this entire, all five of the stars of this show, and that's the first time this has ever happened on network television. And uh, yeah, it's pretty empowering. And I- A very positive message. Uh, agreed. And, um, and I'm so happy I'm able to start bringing back some of my season one guests and get you to- Oh, this was such better viewing this time around. <laughs> you earned it. Everyone, every one of my season one guests, I've told them on, on air, as it were, that you are entitled to come back and watch a good show. And I hope I delivered something much more This was pleasant. a lovely trip down memory lane. Yeah. So thank you, Philip. Thank you, I hope David. We'll be back again. Of course. And of course. Uh, yeah, so let's, uh, let's definitely plan to do it again soon. Great. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. That was Philip Nolan, the next in my series of returning guests to whom I promised good episodes after making them suffer through season one. Uh, Some points that I forgot to make during the show. First of all was uh, Philip made a comment about Little House on the Prairie, and we were going to then later talk about the actress who played Raina, the other underaged supermodel, played by actress Michelle Downey. She is another one, similar to the guy that played Jonathan, where she does not have that many credits, and they end around 1988 or something like that. But the only notable credit was there were 20 episodes of Little House on the Prairie where she played a character named Susan Sue Goodspeed. I have no idea who that is. Um, I did a Google search and the few pictures that did come up, I am thinking maybe she was one of the younger students at the School for the Blind, where Mary and her husband Adam were the teachers. I think that's what it might be. I'm not sure. Anyway, if anybody knows anything about it, let me know. If you know whatever happened to her and whatever happened to the actor that played Jonathan, we'd, we'd really love to know where they've been. Um, next is, I'm sure my fours of listeners were screaming when <laughs> Philip and I said that Alan Thicke was on Family Matters. <laughs> you could hear in my voice, it didn't sound right, it wasn't sitting right, but I couldn't find it at the moment. Yes, I do know, Alan Thicke was on the show called Growing Pains. Easy to mix up with Family Matters because it is one or those rather are two of many, many, many family sitcoms, all of which were after my time and I did not watch. And now two corrections before I wrap this up. The first correction also related to Alan Thicke. It was weird the way I said that Gloria Loring and Alan Thicke are no longer married. Um, Yeah, even if they were still married, they would no longer be married because... I forgot, Alan Thicke passed away in 2016, so he's been gone a couple of years. 
but in fact, the proper way to state it would be that Gloria Loring and Alan Thicke divorced in 1986. So they had not been married for quite some time before he died. The other thing is I mispronounced Rick Okasik's name, the lead singer for the Cars, Rick Okasik. That is how he pronounces his name, and that is how I should have pronounced it, but I didn't. Wap Anyway, next week I'm going to be watching Season 2, Episode 15, that is entitled Free Spirit, with another returning guest, Mark Baratelli. Looking forward to that. Um, in the meantime, feel free to check out the website, facethefactspod.com. You'll find extra pictures, videos, audio extras from the digital cutting room floor, links to the social media places, and favorite podcatcher places where you can go. Speech is now escaping me. I'm barely putting words together. That means I need to end this. Thank you for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Thank you.